Welcome to the Sunday School lesson from Joelton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills. I'm glad that we can have this time together. We are continuing our uh, series of lessons on the Ten Commandments. And today's lesson is entitled, The High Cost of Theft. And it comes from the Eighth Commandment, Do Not Steal. You know, we've been looking at uh, these commandments for the past several weeks. We've made our way through the first seven. And now we come to this commandment number eight. And it's one of the shortest commandments. It's very simple, very direct. Do not steal. But the idea is, how do we interpret this for our current society? How, how do we uh, best understand what this commandment truly means? Our lesson today focuses on the idea that theft springs from an inner core of selfishness. It's taking without giving in return. It's enriching yourself at someone else's expense. Now, this selfish spirit, the spirit that Paul describes as the carnal mind or the mind of the flesh, this destroys relationships. Romans 8, 7 tells us, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. While many of us in the church, we would never dream of taking someone else's property. We, uh, the idea of theft, of taking for yourself what should go to another, it may actually be alive and well, though, in our churches and in our lives if we aren't careful. How prevalent is theft in our society? It was interesting. I was looking up a, a, an issue on the uh, idea of theft in the, on the Internet, and I found what's called the 10-10-80 rule that a number of auditors use when they uh, evaluate a business's expenses and losses. The 10-10-80 rule says 10% of employees will never steal, no matter what. 10% of employees will always steal any chance they can get. And 80% of employees will steal if the conditions are right. I thought about that. I hope they're not quite right on that 80%. But it may be accurate. You know, stealing may be an endemic part of our society. When we look at theft, we might think, well, why is this included as one of the Ten Commandments? You know, there are only ten of them. Aren't there other things that are more serious that cause more harm? And when we look at theft, we often offer excuses or rationalizations. The idea, well, you know, it's okay to take this because I really need it. Or maybe you don't need it. The idea that you have more than what you need now. Sometimes we justify stealing by saying, well, it's something that's so small, it won't really be missed. It's not going to matter. Maybe it's not what you're stealing, but who you're stealing from. Many times we may not feel guilty if we're taking from large corporations or the government. You know, these uh, organizations that are so large, it's hard to see them as being seriously harmed. And a lot of times we seem to have a, a split personality when it comes to theft. No one likes to be the one who has something stolen from them. But there are times when we may honor thieves. For example, many cultures have their version of Robin Hood. 
the good thief who steals from the rich so that he can help the poor. In the Great Depression, many saw bank robbers such as John Dillinger as kind of a modern-day Robin Hood. You know, banks were despised because they were foreclosing on farms. They were seen as taking people's livelihoods. And so you had a number of people who were glad to see it when banks were stolen from. Uh, We can think of a lot of movies where the hero of the movie is a thief. And it's hard to find movies where the hero is uh, a kidnapper or an extortionist or, or someone who mugs little old ladies. But the idea of being a thief, sometimes we seem to honor that. But you can also look at there's no society where all, all stealing is honored or accepted. For example, you know, we don't accept stealing from the elderly or stealing from our own family. Uh, nobody makes a movie about a man who steals his neighbor's Social Security check. You know, these are seen as despicable, dishonorable. And really, these thefts, they lay bare the basic spirit or the attitude that is behind theft. The core spirit is one of utter selfishness. It's taking from society, taking from others, without giving in return. It's putting our wants, our desires first, above any other responsibility or obligation. And we recognize that with this attitude as prevalent, it makes it impossible for people to live in community with one another. Bob Deffenbaugh describes the Ten Commandments as those that prohibit the ultimate evils. The Ten Commandments are these broad, basic categories of sin. And theft is one of those broad categories. There are many other specific sins that would be included uh, under this umbrella that spring from this basic impulse or attitude of selfishness. We want to begin by looking at what exactly is theft? What does stealing involve? How would we describe it? And it's interesting, the Old Testament law defines stealing in both active and passive ways. It describes acts of intentional stealing. These are active stealing. You take what belongs to another. Things such as robbery or burglary or extortion or theft by fraud or deception. But there's another type of stealing in the Old Testament law, and that's more of a negligent or passive stealing. We're not taking from someone, but we are depriving them. We are withholding what belongs to another. For example, my my negligence may result in loss or harm to another's property. I may fail to return something that was lost or fail to pay back a debt that's owed. Now, we punish theft in our society as a crime, We have many laws against the different types of theft. But is it possible to steal and yet be legal? Does it have to be a crime to make it theft? Can I steal from you in a legal way? As Christians, we would have to say yes. We hold ourselves to a higher standard, not just to behave legally, but to behave morally, to behave justly. Usually we think of theft in terms of tangible physical objects. But we also have to notice that we can steal things that aren't physical, but they're still important and they're valuable to other people. For example, 
We can steal someone's reputation, their good name in the community, through gossip, through slander, through attributing wrong motives to them. So we want to expand our idea of actually what theft is. Bob Deffenbaugh offers a unique definition of stealing. He defines it as making an unfair exchange. Stealing is taking from someone else without giving them something of value in return. And if you think of it in that way, how does that change our view of stealing? But it ties it back into the, the spirit behind the act. I am enriching myself at someone else's expense. And this may make it harder for us to excuse, uh, to overlook the types of theft that we may be involved in. Now, we recognize that theft has a, a harmful effect upon us. It destroys relationships. First of all, it destroys our relationship with our neighbor. Stealing shows a contempt for our neighbor. We don't value them. We don't value their experiences. We are willing to hurt our neighbor if it helps us. Stealing also destroys the unity, the fellowship of our community. It splits us apart. It, it pits us against each other. Everyone looks out for himself. Galatians 5.15 reads, If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And James 4.2 reads, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So we can see the effect that theft has upon the unity, the cohesiveness of, of our uh, fellowship together. Now, stealing not only harms the one who is stolen from, stealing corrupts and destroys the one who does the stealing. When we indulge our sinful nature by taking what we want, regardless of what it's going to do to anyone else, we, we twist, we pervert our own character. Proverbs 1, verses 18 and 19 reads, Such are the ways of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of the one who gets it. And we find stealing destroys our relationship with God Himself. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, all crimes involving oppression and theft and fraud these were direct breaches of faith against God. They weren't just crimes against your neighbor. They required you to make restitution to your neighbor, but you also were to present a sacrifice of atonement to God. Ultimately, we know that everything belongs to God anyway. All that we have is loaned to us by God. It's given to us for our use, but it, doesn't, uh, it is not ours. We are to be stewards. Deuteronomy 10, 14 reminds us, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. And we know that stealing profanes the very name of God. Proverbs 30, verse 9 reads, That I be not in want and steal, and profane the name of my God. Now, it profanes God's name because Stealing is acting directly against the character of God. Bob Deffenbaugh reminds us, God is gracious, but the thief is greedy. God gives, but the thief takes. God responds to the needy. The thief actually creates need. So, 
When we steal, we are acting in direct opposition to everything that uh, defines God. And stealing demonstrates a basic lack of trust in God. We are profaning God's name because when we steal, we are telling God, I cannot trust you to give me what I want or to get what I need. Uh, I have to steal. I have to take it for myself. So, uh, as we look at this, we want to think about theft in, in a slightly different way, but we want to try to recognize and identify theft in our own lives. As we said earlier, many people would never think of themselves as thieves. They wouldn't dream of breaking into their neighbor's house or their car, uh, stealing from a friend's purse, something like this. You know, this is something we associate with other people, with uh, low-down people. But theft may be a bigger problem for us than we think. Could we be stealing without ever really thinking of it as stealing? Do we take things that don't belong to us, that we have no right in taking? Do we take things we aren't entitled to? Maybe it's from a, a business, a corporation, but it's something we take to make our lives easier, to convenience us, but not things that we uh, have a right to take. And in terms of dollars and cents, this may not add up to much. But it's important that we be strict about such things. In Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, it reads, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. In this uh, book, in the Psalm, uh, Song of Solomon, the bride-to-be is verbalizing her devotion to her lover, but she's warning against those little things that may creep in, that may ruin their love. The idea is you can build walls around your vineyard, and that will keep out the big things, the things that might damage. But a small animal like a fox could creep in and could still do a, a great deal of damage. So as we look at this idea, what are these little foxes that could creep in to keep us from lives of, of honesty and integrity? For example, do we use things that businesses provide for the convenience of their customers, but we take them for our own personal use, or we, we put them to use when we are not customers? Do we take condiments, napkins, straws from fast food places, not to use while we are there, which they are provided for, but to take for our own private use later? Do we dump trash in other people's dumpsters to save us the expense of, of uh, buying a dumpster of our own? Do we graze at grocery stores, helping ourselves to a handful of grapes, you know, a few peanuts here and there? There are many ways that we could take things that aren't ours to take, and they aren't big things, but we have to think about what it means to us. Do we feel justified in taking digital or electronic media that we haven't paid for? Do we use someone else's password for Netflix or Hulu or one of these streaming services so that we don't have to actually buy the subscription ourselves? Do we tap into our neighbor's Wi-Fi service without their permission? Do we download music, video, software programs from the Internet without paying for them? 
We've gotten kind of used to the idea that everything on the Internet should be free, and so we act as if it's free. But if it's not ours to take, then we need to pay what they're asking. Do we steal time from work? You know, we're paid to work to do something for our employer, but are we using that work time for other purposes, for our own purposes? Bob Deffenbaugh tells us that time theft costs the U.S. economy approximately $70 billion a year. And there are a number of ways that this time theft could occur. You know, we may show up late, we may leave early, we may take sick days that we're not entitled to, or maybe we stretch out that break for an extra 10 or 15 minutes. We spend our time chatting with our neighbors rather than working, or maybe it's using the internet, it's doing our shopping, it's planning our trips, it's checking our Facebook account, all of these things that we do instead of devoting our time to the work that we're being paid to do. W.E. Shepard reminds us, Satan has too much sense to tempt some people with gross sins. We are fortified against the great evils that engulf many. But how about the little things that creep in and spoil the experience and interfere with our communion with the Holy Spirit? So we need to pay attention to these small things, the little foxes in our lives, for two main reasons. First, small things can cast doubt on our reputation. It can cloud our witness. As Christians, we take on the name of Christ. We identify ourselves with Him. So what we do reflects upon Christ. It's important that we make every effort to uh, present a clear witness. Titus 1.7 reads, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And that's not true only for those who would be leaders in the church, but for us all. We are called to be above reproach, which is a legal term. It's the idea of innocence in the eyes of the law. The idea that someone may accuse you, but there's no basis to convict. Your conduct, except, your conduct itself proves that you are blameless. Ecclesiastes 10.1 reminds us, As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The writer of Ecclesiastes is reminding us, It doesn't take much to spoil a man's reputation, to, to bring doubt on his honor. Now, we also want to pay attention to the small things because small things can interfere with our communion with the Holy Spirit. They prevent us from having everything that the Spirit has for us. When, when we start allowing these small things into our lives, the tendency is for them to grow. These things create selfishness. They create laziness. And this is always bad news for our spiritual lives. Now, as we look at the idea of theft, and theft that may be possible for us even in the church, even as Christians, one of the ways that theft can creep into our lives is through the influence of the consumer culture that we live in. You know, a lot of times we find ourselves accepting uh, the mindset, the worldview of our culture. Our economic system of buying and selling determines what we think of as theft and what we don't think of as theft. 
Instead of looking at biblical principles, we allow our society to dictate these to us. Are we stealing? But we're unaware of it because we don't stop to question the basic premises that our society lives by. For example, our society tells us, buy as cheaply as possible, make as much profit as possible when you sell. But what if the person you're buying from has no idea of the value of what they're selling? Is it okay to take advantage of their ignorance to buy something for far less than you know it's worth? Say my neighbor has a $10,000 baseball card. They have it in their yard sale for a dollar because they have no idea that it's valuable. Now, if I know very well that it's valuable, is it okay for me to buy it? Now, our culture says, well, that's just being a smart consumer, a smart customer. But is it theft? Am I exploiting my neighbor? Am I stealing something from him because he is unaware? Or what if someone desperately needs money and they are willing to sell for far less than what uh, the item is worth? Can I take advantage of their desperation to let me pick up a bargain? Again, our consumer society would say, well, that's, that's just business. You know, uh, take advantage of what you can. But what does Scripture tell us? If, if we lived by biblical principles, could we do this? Now, these actions aren't illegal. But am I taking what rightfully belongs to my brother without adequately compensating him? In America, we live a lifestyle of consumption. We spend our lives buying stuff. Shopping is one of our major activities. It's become entertainment itself. But we are mindless consumers. We never stop to think where all of the things that we buy, all of this stuff comes from and who makes it. Our lifestyle, consuming food and clothes, all of the other stuff that we buy, this endless cycle of consumption, it's only possible because millions of people around the world are working for very little pay. Our lifestyle is possible because we can buy cheap clothes and electronics and food. These things are cheap because someone somewhere is basically working as a low-wage slave. Walmart can afford to sell t-shirts uh, for $3 or $5 because someone is working in Asia at a price far below what they need. I can buy bananas that are brought all the way from South America, cheaper than I can buy apples that are raised in the next state. The only reason I can do this is someone paid only pennies a day to grow these apples or to grow these bananas and, and to pick them. Americans can go to the grocery store and find chicken on sale because someone is working under, uh, in a meatpacking plant under horrible conditions and being paid very little. And I'm not trying to pick on specific companies here. Uh, Walmart is not alone in selling us cheap goods. The idea, though, is do we recognize how much of our lifestyle is possible only because of what other people are going through? Now, not paying workers what is owed to them was a serious offense in the Old Testament. It was an offense that actually brought the wrath of God. Jeremiah 22:13 says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, 
who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. Deuteronomy 24, 1. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land. We look at verses like this and say, well, how horrible. Of course, those who work should be paid for their labor. They should be paid justly. And those employers that refuse to pay them, they deserve wrath. But I look at this and say, but I'm not the owner of a factory like this. I haven't hired these people. They don't work directly for me. But indirectly, I am the one who is profiting. I'm the one who's able to have the lifestyle that I want because of all the cheap things I can afford to buy. Should I be concerned about those who produce the things that I consume? Should I be concerned knowing my lifestyle would be a lot more expensive if everyone was paid a decent wage? I don't hire the workers. I don't make money off their low wages, but I certainly benefit from their exploitation. Is this a form of theft? There are other ways that our lifestyle directly disadvantages others. The simple truth is, There's no way that the rest of the world can live the same type of consumerism that we do here in America. There simply aren't enough resources. There isn't enough energy. There isn't enough raw material. There's not enough food. Americans eat uh, approximately 20 times as much meat per day as the people in India. There's no way in the world everyone could eat the same amount of meat that we do. There simply isn't enough to go around. around. Americans consist of 5% of the world's population, but we use 24% of the world's energy. One American uses the same energy as 13 Chinese individuals, 31 people from India, 370 people from Ethiopia. We consume 35 to 40% of the world's output of basic materials. For example, one-third of the world's paper, one-fourth of the world's oil, 27% of the world's aluminum. So we have to look at this and look at our lifestyles and say, because we consume far more than our share, there are those in the world who go without. Now, I realize this is not a simple issue. And I don't want to cast stones at any particular businesses, any particular people. Uh, Things aren't black and white here. I'm only one person of approximately 300 million people in the United States. What difference is it really going to make if I change my lifestyle? What can I do as just one individual? Nothing's going to change unless millions make this change. And we know that's not likely to happen. Am I really supposed to restrict how I live, knowing that it won't make any real change? Do I have a responsibility to act? And if I decide that, yes, I should do something, how can I know what to do? I can't grow my own food. I can't make my own clothes. Is it possible to live in the United States and not take part in this consumer lifestyle? I can't tell you all of the answers today, but... I want to put these ideas onto your radar. I want you to be aware of them. So much of the time, we are just mindless consumers. We allow advertising, we allow pop culture to determine what we buy and when we buy and how much we buy. We don't stop to consider 
where the things that we buy come from. We don't stop to consider who makes them or under what condition or what the consequences are of our purchasing these items. As Christians, we need to learn to be countercultural, to think through how we should live. We don't want to be just mindless members of our, of our modern society. We want to live as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. We have to recognize we do have an obligation. We cannot just throw up our hands and quit. In the book of James, he tells us in verses, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So, we need to learn to be countercultural, not just because it improves the world around us, but because it changes who we are ourselves. We need to stop just mindlessly consuming. We need to allow ourselves to be shaped by Christ, not by our culture. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians with some very good advice on how we can be a countercultural society. Ephesians 4.28, Paul writes, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, it's interesting. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesians. He's not writing to the pagans. He's writing to those who claim to be Christ, to belong to Christ. And he's telling them, if you've been stealing, you must steal no longer. Paul is pointing out the, the almost universal nature of stealing in society, the idea of taking advantage of a neighbor, of making this unfair exchange taking from society rather than giving back what you can, or rather than contributing your fair share. If we think of theft in this way, how does it change how we live in society, how we live as part of a community? We've adopted the economic values of our culture without stopping to think if these values are truly biblical or not. Paul makes a good point here. We're not to just avoid stealing, to avoid taking. We are to make a positive contribution. He says, work with your hands to have something to share with those in need. So, this is not just a negative commandment, but there's a very positive part of this. We work to provide something of value to help those in need. Stephen Cole uh, points out to us, what it would mean for us in a community if we adopted Paul's uh, advice here. We would move from selfishness to service, from taking to giving, from thinking only of our needs to thinking of the needs of others, from laziness to hard work, from deception to honesty, from irresponsibility to responsibility. And if we can begin to build our society in these ways, it's going to have an enormous benefit. We can help those in need, ministering to those who lack what they need in their daily lives. It can, it can help to build a society that sticks together, that is in unison and in fellowship with one another. And finally, it's a way of, of honoring God rather than profaning God's name. You know, Jesus told us in the Gospels, 
When we do one of these things to the least of these brothers of ours, we do it to him. And so we need to keep that in mind. We avoid theft not only because of what it does to our neighbor, not only because of what it does to ourselves, but we avoid theft out of our love and our respect and our commitment to Christ. Now, next week, I want to begin to look at some very specific things about how we can make sure that we are not depriving others by our lifestyles, by our actions. And so I would welcome you to join me back at that time. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this word that we've had today from you and for how you've spoken to our hearts. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, to really think some of these ideas through. And sometimes it's hard to know exactly what to do. But we want to be a, a Christian who doesn't just mindlessly accept the, the values of the culture around us. But we seek to embody what you have taught us and to, to be the person that you would have us to be. We give you praise in your name. Amen.